It's your boy, Jake the Snake Robinson. It's the Podfather, half man, half podcast machine. What is up? I mean, look, wow, the lights in the heavens from above have shined down on us. And Major League Baseball is right around the corner. In fact, I believe the games are underway for a lot of teams uh, this weekend. So... I am so glad to be here. I am so glad to have the opportunity to bring the greatest game of the world to you. Baseball, by far. It's why we're all here. We're a bunch of same heads. And you're here because you know I'm Jake the Snake. I'm putting it in. I do it the way I do it. Nobody else can do it the way I do it. I do what I do, when I do it, and I do it better than anybody else. And that's fact. Jacked up, ready to go. I mean, look, I just got done watching. <laughs> I know the head is pissed off right now. I just got done watching North Carolina Tar Heels lay the smackdown all over that candy ass. And it was beautiful. Congratulations going out to the UNC Tar Heels. They down Duke tonight, 88 to 72. Holy smokes, what a game. Did you see that? Yes, I'm a diehard Tar Heels fan. And uh, the head out in Central Pennsylvania. I know he's got the blues right now. I mean, that was unbelievable. The first, the very first uh, possession of the game, it started out so weird. The first possession of the game, uh, the 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 what might have been the second possession. Duke had the ball, and I, look, I've heard of breaking other dudes' ankles, and that dude Zion Williamson. I mean, he's a fucking beast. I mean, he might be one of the greatest. I mean, college players. I've seen, like he might have the greatest skill set that I've ever seen in a college player. I mean, he's like right there. Unbelievable. And, I mean, it was just a really bizarre play. He went to go, like, to his left. And all of a sudden, his, well, his shoe exploded. I mean, he looked like the Hulk coming out of that thing. He went down in the heat. He grabbed his knee. And now, look, as much as I love the Tar Heels, and I loathe that fucking basketball team over there in Durham, I'm going to tell you, nobody wants to see that happen. I don't want to be Duke on some, you know. There's already these people out. Well, you know, Zion got hurt, and that's why you won. Blah, 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 blah. Whatever, dude. If one person is going to, you know, you know, be the determination of you winning and losing, then I'll take my team every time, and I'll take my coach. I don't think it's just that simple that it was one person. But, you know, I, I'll be first to admit, so that's a big, that's a big loss right there. And no Tar Heel fan wants to see that. I mean, that kid, he's a pleasure to watch, even though he's on the, you know, hated rival team. 
And I hope everything's all right. He looks like he's going to get an MRI tomorrow. And Cam Johnson and Luke May. I mean, they just went off Cam. 27 points, 7 assists. Luke May, 30 points, 15 boards. And Dookie's little, you know, their little combo there, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, they played well. But you can tell that team was obviously affected by the loss of what really has, you know, I mean, he's a freshman, but he really is the heart and soul of that team. And you saw tonight. I do think it's pretty funny that uh, Puma tweets out <laughs> the tennis shoe company, Puma. Remember that? I, don't, I didn't even know they still made Puma. Puma tweeted out, that wouldn't have happened if he was wearing Pumas. Now, look. Wah, 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 wah. Puma has jokes. That old Ralph Samson bullshit. I didn't even know Puma's made tennis shoes still. So, yeah, I wanted to watch that basketball game before I started this show. I love college hoops, and, you know, for me, the season doesn't even really start until we play Duke. And now it's all hands on deck. And I told TJ last night we were going to win. I mean, I wasn't really confident saying I was just talking shit. But any time you go into camera and you win, you'll take it. And it feels so good to be back in the Captain Kirk chair. It's your boy, Jake the Snake Robinson, on the Jake Robinson Sports Experience. And look, for the past two weeks, I've been digging into the major players of the NLEs. I'm talking the Mets, the Phils, the Nats, and the Braves. And my original intention was to go under the hood and circumcise this NL Central for you today. And that was really the plan. And then I, I decided I'm just going to do a slight pivot. I was going to do a slight pivot this week. And I'm going to go hard on the AL East. I feel like I've done a lot of National League Baseball the last couple weeks. You know, I want to give some American League fans a uh, chance to get a taste of what Jake the Snake brings to the table. What the experience is all about. But I also decided I'm going to give you the skinny on Miami so that we can finish out the NLAs. And then, well, look, there was a couple pivots involved. Because then I was like, you know, this was the plan when I woke up yesterday morning, Ashley. I was going to give you the Marlins. Then I was going to give you the Red Sox and the Orioles. Now, look. And, you know, just the game evolves, information evolves, and the plan was to, you know, give you the Marlins and the Red Sox, the Orioles, then in a couple days I'd give you the Yanks, the Rays, and Jays behind that, but I had a couple things, you know, go down, and you know, you're baseball fans, you're well aware, Machado signed, Mustaka signed this week, the death of Don Newcomb, Bruce Bochy, so look, some things kind of changed, but, you know, the, the show is totally different than what I had, uh, I had a vision of yesterday when I woke up yesterday morning. So, we're going to do a slight pivot here, and I'm going to continue 
to methodically move along and break down all 30 of these teams in the coming weeks. And I hope to do that before I land in Yankee Stadium, hanging out with my boy Richie DeSalvio, March 28th. We're going to be there for the opening day battle between the Bombers and the Oreos. And what I anticipate would probably be, what, Luis Severino versus uh, Dylan Bundy? Oh, boy. I mean, I hope I just don't get embarrassed out of that crib. Maybe we'll do a show. I mean, you know, I'm going to try to break down all three of these teams before we get to opening day, though. Now, before I start reeling in more, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, we did have a major signing this week. And that's pretty much been the cause of celebration whenever that happens during baseball. Especially in the wintertime, right? And I should clarify that it really... Well, look, it's a big player, but it's not necessarily a big contract. And those, you know, they've mysteriously disintegrated the past two years. So on Sunday afternoon, MLB insider Kenny Rosenthal, he broke the news about Mike Moustakis signing a one-year deal with the Brewers of Milwaukee. $10 million and a mutual option for 2020. Now, if you remember back on Halloween, the Brewers, they declined a $15 million option. It was a mutual option between the two. The Brewers declined. And that was a rollover from the Royals contract that he signed last year. That one-year, uh, $6 million piece of shit. So on Sunday, they signed him. Well, on Saturday, Brewers third baseman Travis Shaw, he stated publicly that he would not only be happy if Mustakas returned to the team, but he would be willing to slide to second base to help the team. You know, if that's what it's going to take to help secure the uh, services of Mike Mustakas, Travis Shaw was 100% behind. And after uh, signing Yasmani Grandal to a one-year $18.25 million deal, the Brewers, they decided they would be willing to stretch the budget for uh, another solid bat as long as there was only a one-year commitment to that. And this move, it shores up second base. And second base has become kind of a void for Milwaukee when, you know, last year it looked like they had about it looked like they had about 140 second basements at one time. But there's kind of been a void there after trading Jonathan VR to the Orioles last year. And then they let Jonathan Scope vote for the uh, Minnesota Twins. And sidebar here, um... I see a lot, and I mean a ton of one- and two-year deals this year. You know, just in the past three weeks, bringing these teams down, we've spoken about Marquez, Josh Donaldson, Brian McCann, Mike Moustakis, Yasmani Grandal, Brian Dozier, Wade Miley, etc., etc., Now, call me naive, but Mustakas and Grandal, they don't necessarily fit with those names, if you ask me. And honestly, Mustakas should probably just retire. Because, I mean, you know, he's obviously a bum. 
And I don't know what it is, but people are just afraid to invest in that son of a bitch. I mean, look, the past two years, I mean, the past two years, all it could possibly muster is, I'm looking here, 76 dogs, 180 ribs, 57 doubles, 112 OPS plus. I mean, that's just piss poor. Who cares if you play facing the dirt defense every day or if you're a clubhouse leader? I mean, you sorry, son of a bitch. You were only worth six last year, and be grateful for your $4 million raise this year. I mean, you are just a stiff. Hashtag sarcasm. And I'm also sure that you know that mutual options, they're rarely exercised by both sides. Moustakas, you know, he's essentially a bridge to these prospects they have in Mauricio Dubon and Keiston Weir, Weir. Moustakas slash 251, 315, 459 with 28 dogs, 95 ribs last year between the Royals and the Brewers. Milwaukee, they traded for him in July. They moved Shaw to uh, second base. And Moose got out on a stretch. Now, Christian Yelich, I mean, you know, that dude went banana fruitcake. I mean, he went nuts, right? And Yelich, you know, was definitely carrying that team. But Moustakas was a force down the stretch as well. He built a five dogs in August. And him and Yelich and Josh Hader and those guys, they snatched the NL Central crown from the Cubs. Now, he only hit 200 in the postseason. As all the Brewer Bats, you know, they went into that deep freeze funk. He did, however, you know, if you remember, he hit that walk-off single in game one of that division series. And that helped him sweep the Rockies. That was an intense game right there. And the moon was given a huge thumbs up by reigning NL MVP Christian Yelich, who along with teammate Ryan Braun and Moustakas, they've been raising funds in the offseason trying to help Californians uh, who are affected by these wildfires. So that says something about his character. And with Moose on the loose and Millie Wauquay, the Brewers will be able to post a lineup against right-handed pitchers that will feature as many as six left-handed bats for eight position players. I'm looking here. Yelich, Shaw, Grandal, Moose, Eric Thames, Alfredo Ben Gamble. And I see Gamble as, you know, this possible backup to Ryan Braun. I would assume he will see regular bats. As the Brewers, you know, they're going to look to protect Braun, keep him healthy and upright, protect them. Now, I told you, Travis Saul, he said he would be willing to move to second base. But it looks like the Brewers' brain trust, they got other ideas for that. So it kind of sounds like Mustakis, he's going to have a six-week try at second base. A position he has never played in the majors. And Travis Shaw, you know, look. 
He was an NL Gold Glove finalist last year. And manager Craig Council would prefer to keep Travis right there. The defensive metrics are much kinder to Sean, their base and Moose. And the club feels like Mike can, uh, well, he can be that bridge to the bone and wear it, like I was telling you earlier. And by all accounts, Mike is on board, which doesn't surprise me. He's a ball player. He's a leader. I mean, for like a, this West Coast guy, he has such a, to me, he has a, such a like Midwest feels about him. I love that kid. And Moose ingratiated himself on that team. And his teammates, they have a lot of love and respect for him. So, look, good sign here. And I'll be hitting the NL Central hard in a couple weeks. And I said it last week. I mean, look, I think the NL East, one through four, that's going to be a straight fucking bloodbath, especially if the Phillies can go out and get uh, Bryce Harper. But I think top to bottom, I think the NL Central is the most balanced. And I said it a couple weeks ago. I think that every team in the NL Central has the ability to at least break 500. I really do. I think all of those teams have talent on their team that is good enough to be a 500 ball team. Now it remains to be seen whether those teams are going to cannibalize on each other and you know what I mean? But I think all those teams, I think the NL Central is very balanced. So I, I, I am fascinated to cover the NL Central, but I'm going to cover some AL baseball next week. I'm going to finish up with the Marlins here, and then I'm going to drift into the American League East next week, and then I'm going to come back to the NL Central in a couple weeks. So I got my eye on you, baby. You're listening to the Jake Robinson Sports Experience on the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. I'm coming out of all these islands, South Carolina. Half man, half podcast machine. And like I said, with the, you know, the past two weeks, I've dug into the NLAs like a skilled mass surgeon. You can call me Hawkeye Pearson, this son of a bitch. And honestly, I had intended to make a total end around and come back to Miami. You know, in a couple weeks or so. But I decided, what the hell? Let's just wrap this up now. I'm going to stay in LLEs for the set off. We'll talk a little Machado, some Don Newcomb, Bruce Bochy. I mean, you know, I got a full, full plate here. So, look. I'm going to finish out the Marlins. And then we'll talk a little, well, we'll talk a little bit of Manny Machado, some San Diego Padres baseball. And speaking of balls, I want to tell you a second about a great new sponsor for the show, Blue Chew Viagra. Now, look, folks, I'm going on 49 years old. I'm relatively healthy. I'm an active man. I still have quite the sexual appetite. But I'll be honest, look, I'm not in my 20s anymore. I don't walk around with six-pack abs. 
had a 24-hour reaction like I did when I was younger. And sometimes you want to get in the game. You want to rub down with some of that uh, Barry Bob's flaxseed oil. You feel me? But look, I got something a little bit better than that. And I'm telling you this from experience. So take it from the snake. And my routine is very simple. I take two chewables. And then I shower. Little horse bath. Splash up with a hint of jacar. Make sure the manscaping is tight. Brush, floss. My teeth. You know. Take care of the, you know, the, the little manly things that, that she likes. And by the time I'm done with that, boom. The big unit is ready to drop down. You feel me? Now, it's safe. It's painless. It's much more streamlined than your father's Viagra pills. And it's not often when I find things that make me genuine feel like my younger self, but I'm a huge fan. Proud to have Blue Chew Viagra as a sponsor. Get yours today by going to bluechewviagra.com. Use promo code SLAM. And tell me I'm a liar. That's bluechewviagra.com. Promo code SLAM. I mean, it's a great little product that I got there. I'm not embarrassed at all. You know, you get 49. You know, sometimes you, you, you need a little energy to get out of the field. And it's not just for older guys. Younger guys can, can use it too, man. It's, it's, a, it's a great product. Try it out. So. Now. Let's go look at these uh, Miami Marlins. Let's get back to, you know, before I start talking about my balls and dropping dong. Let's go back to the Marlins, 2019. Now, we're going to have to go back to a year ago when Derek Jeter and friends brought that club for $2.1 billion. And then 30 minutes later, they cried poverty, began to torch the team. They started selling their best players in Marcelo Zuna, Christian Yelich. Sean Carlos Stanton, D. Gordon. And I was living in West Palm Beach. I had front row seats. I sat there and watched the Marlins burn while Jeter fiddled. And now it's year two of the purge. And the fish, they sold out their last piece of that chapter. They don't catch a JT Real Muto to filthy. I told you about that a couple weeks ago. They got some talented pieces back. It's in the archives. You can check it out. And, of course, whenever I talk to Marlins, I just cannot ignore that elephant in the room. I mean, I can't. I, you know, I want to, but I can't. You know, having an MLB team in Miami, is, it's a joke. It's a joke. And this organization in particular. Oh, that. They, they can't seem to shut the stink of that last owner, Jeffrey Loria, off of them. They can't. It's like a big fucking fart cloud that hovers over that stadium. I mean, my God, I hope it's a fart. And in my opinion, as soon as the FBI is done doing the, the Lord's work in D.C., Robert Mueller and, and family, they need to investigate anyone who was in Loria's inner circle when he owned that team. 
I mean, for too long, that team has spent pennies for players. And the tens of fans in that city, well, they've just become accustomed to cheap, losing baseball. The previous regime, they sued their own ticker hold, their own ticket holders. They legitimately hoodwinked taxpayers to fund that awful ballpark that nobody wanted or needed in the first fucking place. In fact, that stadium deal was so unpopular that it sparked the Securities and Exchange Commission investigation. And that investigation eventually got the mayor recalled. And the nail in the coffin, it came in December when uh, former team president David Sampson, acting like a fucking moron, he hops on a stage at Dan Levitard's birthday and says, uh, quote, I love when you guys boom it. Keep booing me. Because guess what? $1.2 billion. Fuck you. End quote. Former team president. This is a guy who went on the TV show Survivor and bragged that his claim to fame was was conning Miami officials, voters, and taxpayers into building an unnecessary stadium during a recession. That's his claim to fame. And look, the stones on that guy. I mean, first of all, Florida has a horrible public voting record. And I can't say I would crow about disrupting a Florida vote. I mean, it kind of happens all the time, dude. And the sheer balls on this guy who leverages to build the ugliest stadium I've ever been into, bar none. And then he brokers a deal in which he makes hundreds of of millions of dollars on the sale. And then we all know what happens after that. George sent Stanton back into the Yankees for a bag of chips and a pack of zigzag rolling papers. Nah, what, 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 what? Alright, it wasn't quite a bag of chips. I'm exaggerating, of course. And again, to look at this year's young team, I gotta go back and track all the young talent that they got back last year. Because, you know, that's what this team was based on anyway. I mean, you think I'm going to sit here and tell you about Brian Anderson and Starlin Castro, Mark Prado? Yeah, these guys got a chance. No, man, this team is all about the players, the young talent that they've accumulated in the past two years. And I owe it to you as Jake the Snake to break it down to you. Nobody does this, folks. It's just me. It's like I tell you all the time, I do what I do when I do it, and I do it better than anybody else. Now, a piece that Miami got back in that 
Giancarlo Standale with Stalin Castro. And Castro, you know, he had a solid season. Statistically, I'd say he's probably the fourth best player on the team. Last year's roster, anyway. Behind JT, Real Muto, Justin Bohr, Brian Anderson. I got him the fourth best player. He played in 154 games. And he had a slash of 278, 329, 400, 729 OPS, and a 107 WRC+. Plus. Now, Real Muto and Bourne, they moved on this past offseason. And it will be imperative for Castro and uh, sophomore Brian Anderson here to pick up the slack. Now, fortunately for those two poor bastards, the Marlins have signed a couple of veterans in the past couple weeks. They've signed Neil Walker, Curtis Granderson. Hopefully add a little more punch, a little more meat and potato to that lineup. But, you know, it still looks dangerously anorexic. And the Marlins... They also received uh, right-handed pitching prospect Jorge Guzman and infielder Jose Devers in that trade. Uh, Jose Devers is the cousin of Red Sox third baseman Rafael Devers. And while Castro was a player that they, you know, they were like, look, he can play on the major league level right now. And they were happy about that. The Yankees were happy to get rid of the the money owed to him. But the main prospect in this deal that Miami was banking on was the prospect Jorge Guzman. And I believe Guzman was traded, what, three, three seasons in a row. Started out with Houston Astros, went to the Yankees, and now here he is with... Uh, the Marlins here. And like I said, you know, the hopes of this trade, you know, having any semblance of some kind of, you know, suitable return that can help you five years down the road, you know, that was pretty much in Guzman. And many had hoped with his raw power stuff, he could be a weapon in the back end of that bully. Now, there were some people that were like, you know, maybe he's a starter. That's also been an argument in the uh, organization. And year one for Guzman, well, it was a complete disaster of epic Hindenburg proportions. 22-year-old, he made 21 starts at high A Jupiter. Last year he went 0-9 with a 4.03 ERA. His power stuff, it did translate well as he had 101 strikeouts and 96 innings pitched. He averages 9.5 Ks per 9, but the control, it looks like it's a major issue. And he also averages 6 walks per 9, and he has a 1.54 whip. So to me, those numbers say it all. I mean, they know he's 23 years old. His best bet 
is probably in the bully. And in London, even that's not a given. I mean, just an awful year. Now, 18-year-old Jorge Davers. Well, he played a solid middle of the infield defense. A-ball Greensboro. He committed only seven errors in 486 and a third innings played. And that was three less than his first year in uh, pro baseball, 2017. He looks like a decent hitter at the top or bottom of the lineup. 273, 313, 332 slash. 46 runs, zero dogs, 21 ribs, 13 stolen bases, six times caught, 85 games. So he looks young, talented. I mean, certainly not worthy of a trade for Stanton, right? It still looks like a salary dump to me. I mean, it just does. Nothing has really changed my opinion there. And I mean, I guess you can look at it as you got Stella Castro, he's major league ready, and you know, this Guzman, it, it doesn't look like it's going to work with him. You know, Devers, he's got a little pedigree, so it looks like he can play a little defense, he's got a little stick with him, not much power, maybe that uh, maybe that grows in time as he matures into his body, I don't know. After year one, you got to say not good, not good trade at all. If the intent was to get young for Stanton, I don't see any of these guys that are going to help you in five years win ball games. Now, the next move last year that was made by Jeter was dealing Marcelo Zuna to the St. Louis Cardinals. And that trade revolved around right-handed pitcher uh, Sandy Alcantara. He was the centerpiece. Uh... Right-handed pitcher, Alcantara did make uh, six starts at the big league level. I mean, pretty mediocre results. 2-3 and three in Miami with a 3.44. Not bad. I mean, a bad team, so all things considering, not bad. 30 strikeouts, 30 innings pitched, 1.41 whip. And again, control, that's this kid's issue too. He averages eight strikeouts for nine. He also averages six walks to go along with those eight strikeouts. That's not good. Now, he did get sent down to the farm last year, and he has proven that, really, he's got nothing to prove in the minor league level. He went 6-3 with a 3.90 ERA there, 1.26 whip. And I expect to see him in the Marlins rotation to start the season, honestly. There's nothing left for that kid to prove uh, in the minor league level. So I expect Alcantara to be there, and hopefully he can... Look, I shouldn't say it was a total mediocre year. I mean, it really wasn't that bad for a youngster. First year pitching. Two and three, 3.44. He's got some things to walk on. He's got to bring those walks down. Now, the second most prized piece brought back from St. Louis in that deal. It involved 22-year-old Magneria Sierra, rangy left-hander. He spent the beginning of the year in uh, New Orleans, AAA. 
He played in 84 games before getting that call to Miami. And in a small sample size of 156 plate appearances, Sierra slashed 190-222-211. He was a 260 hitter in the minors, and he was also very good at stealing bags. Now, I also uh, expect Sierra to make the roster out of spring training. I think the potential is there for him to be a solid ball player. And I actually have more faith in him than I do Lewis Brinson, whom we're going to hit on in a little bit. You know, there's a lot of things to his game. He did come up rather quickly through the Cardinals organization. So, look. The third prize coming back was Zach Gallon, 23-year-old, right-handed pitcher. He saw his whip balloon to 1.47. His previous high was 1.17. Now, he did start 25 games at AAA New Orleans. 9.2 Ks for 9. And like Alcantara and Guzman, he needs to cut the walks down. I mean, he's got to do it to take that next step. All these fucking walks. I mean, walks are the bane of my existence. I can't stand them. You want to see the snake run out in the middle of traffic? Walk the leadoff man. The final piece of the deal was 23-year-old softball pitcher Daniel Castanos. Last year, across three levels, rookie at rookie ball, A ball, high A. Castano went 9 12 with a 3.88 ERA. And scouts say he still has much work to do to be considered for a roster spot in Miami, as well as being a top 25 prospect in the farm system. So, all things considered, this deal, it's not, it is not as bad as the Yankee deal. I mean, Azuna was good in St. Louis, but I think he would be the first to tell you that he can be better. And his numbers have always been at their most robust when Stan was healthy in Miami. Now, with the cards trading for slugger Paul Goldschmidt, uh, you know, it remains to be seen if, if this has an, uh, you know, a residual effect on Marcel Azuna's game. I, I've always felt that Azuna is a, a better hitter when he has protection around him. And, you know, look, Goldsmith, that you know, that's protection right there. So we'll see if that theory is uh, proven to be true this year. Don't be surprised if you see big things out of Ozuna, quite honestly. But I still think this deal was not as bad as the Yankee deal. I mean, with Alcantara, you, you know, he looks like he can be a very solid middle of the rotation pitcher. He's got number two upside. And if Zach Gallon can rebound from a season of shaky control, he could also be a serviceable MLB arm. So in year two, this trade doesn't look that bad. And the third piece of last year's outfield purge. That was NL MVP, well, eventual NL MVP, Christian Yelich. They traded him to Milwaukee for Lewis Brinson, 
Ison Diaz, Monty Harrison, and Jordan Yamamoto. Now, the 26-year-old Yelich, he fit right in with the Brewers. He led them to the NL Central crown. And, you know, he was just out of this world down the stretch. I mean, he was pretty much a badass all year. But down the stretch, he was, he was untouchable. Untouchable. I think he might have got on base like 20 times in like 22 at-bats to one stretch. It was incredible. And the potential, it's always been there when he played Miami. But Christian took his play to a whole other level. He set careers highs and almost, you know, across the board. His 326 average, 598 slugging percentage, 1,000 OPS, 164 OPS plus. Those were all tops in the NL. And look, considering that the centerpiece of this trade was built around uh, Lewis Brinson, you would think at first glance that the fish definitely got raped on this deal. But whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down your pony. Stop the presses. Let's take a deeper look. And there's no other way to put it. Lewis Brinson, he was horrible. He had a terrible rookie season for his hometown Marlins. I mean, it was pathetic. 199, 240, 238 slash, and a 62 OPS+. A 62, folks. He spent 14 games in double-A, triple-A last year, and he was even worse there. I mean, if that's possible. And the crazy thing is, from 2012 to 2015, Lewis Brinson looked like prospect hydroponics, baby. I mean, he smelled good. The weight was right. He had beautiful little crystals all over him. And now, he just looks at... He smells like cheap Honduran swag. And nobody wants that shit. It gives you headaches. He's not particularly fast, which is surprising considering it, he is very athletic. He doesn't swipe bags. He had a 257 average with balls in play. But he struck out almost 30% of his at-bats. And he only walks 4.2%. So that doesn't help us cause it all. He has a lot of work to do. I mean, he's close to strolling down Keon Broxton Boulevard, if you know what I'm saying. Cameron Maven Drive. He better get it together. And again, if you were just judging based on, you know, this trade as a Yelich for Lewis Brinson deal, then no question. You know, Milwaukee got the better of that deal. But like I said, slow down your ponies, baby. The rest of the players in that deal, they came through on the farm. And they are a big reason Miami was able to move from the 28th ranked farm before Jeter to now the 13th ranked farm. And that's uh, that's ranked by, the, by Baseball America. They got Monty Harrison, who is now the number one prospect in the Fish minor league system. I'm sorry, actually, 
Monty Harrison got moved to number three after they signed six after they traded for Sixto Sanchez and picked up Victor Victor Mesa off the international market. So Monty Harrison was the number one prospect, and he's dropped to number three. He's probably, honestly, he's probably ahead of Victor Victor Mesa. He's got plus raw power. He's an outstanding athlete. He can play all three outfield positions. And he has a plus right fielder's arm. Now check this out. His average speed, home to first base, 4.34 seconds, folks. He is a physical specimen. He's built like a linebacker. His older brother, Shaquille Harrison, he plays for the Phoenix Suns. So they have athleticism in their genes. It's in their DNA. Twenty-two-year-old freak. He had a slash of two forty, three sixteen, three ninety-nine, two hundred eight total bases, five hundred eighty-three plate appearances, nineteen dogs, forty-eight ribs, twenty-eight stolen bases, nine times caught, and that was his first season above high A ball. So the Marlins are very happy with Monty. And he projects to start a double A. But don't be surprised if a promotion is sure to follow if he keeps at it with this trajectory. Now, the third player the Fish brought back in that deal was middle infield prospect Ison Diaz. Another cat started out double-A Jacksonville, finished in triple-A New Orleans. He had 41 extra base hits with a 340 OBP. His strikeout rate is 32%. That's high. But, you know, look, it's kind of on par with players today. That's very high, though. He's got to bring that down. He does produce some balls batted in play, though. And he will probably start 2019 in the minors. But as soon as an injury or a trade opens a spot, Ice is going to get the call. And they expect him to play every day. In fact, some of the organization, they call him a left-handed Dan Ugla. And that's if Dan Ugla can play defense. So they are extremely happy with Ison Diaz and Monty Harrison. And last but not least... Let's not forget this Jordan Yamamoto kid. He was supposed to be, you know, a throwaway player in that deal. But I'm going to tell you, someone in that fish scouting department, they were on their fucking job. Yamamoto is now the sixth-ranked player in the system. He made a tremendous impact last year. He eventually landed in double-A, his highest level in his professional career thus far. 22-year-old Hawaiian native. He went 6-1 across three levels of baseball last year. And he had a 1.83 ERA. Held opposing batters to a 177 batting average. Strikeout rate per nine. And sat at 11.22. And he had a .83. Yep. So after dominating performances at double-A... Yeah, you can look for Jordan Yamamoto to get a call up by September, if not sooner. 
So when you look at these deals, yes, it looks like the stand deal was a joke. I mean, thank God you got Stalin Castro out of that deal. Guzman looks like trash. And unless Devers can follow in his cousin's footsteps, that's ding ding. Now, the Ozuna deal was better. It's not great, but it's better. Alcantara's a keeper. He's a sleeper. He's a midnight creeper. And Sierra has potential. Ozuna was good last year. Not 2017 great, but he was solid. So, ironically, the best deal for the Marlins... It cost them last year's MVP. Now, look, we all know, and we all knew Yelich was good. I mean, really good. But I don't remember anyone saying Yelich is going to be the 2018 MVP before the season began. And I'm not saying it was a fluke, because it wasn't. Yelich is a badass. But it did kind of come out of nowhere, right? And while the Marlins lost an MVP, they got some good cornerstone pieces right here in uh. Harrison, Yamamoto, and if they continue to progress this trajectory, you know, the sky's the limit for those two. And Ison Diaz, well, he just looks like a ball player. And year two of the rebuild, it, it doesn't look that bad. And to understand where the Marlins are going, I had to shed light on where the Marlins came from. So if anyone comes around you flapping, you know, their dick holsters about what Jeter is doing and how he's doing a shitty job with all these trades, they need to stop with the jibba-jabba. Because other than the Stanton trade, these trades have not been that bad. They've been pretty good, actually. Like I said, they've gone from the 27th ranked farm to 13th. And the Marlins added on to that youth this offseason. They deeped into the international market, secured the services of the Mesa brothers from Cuba. 22-year-old outfielder Victor Victor Mesa. He's a gold glove type. Now, there are concerns. You've got a contact-oriented swing. But he shows the ability to get on base. I, I, I expect a call up. Now his brother, Victor Mesa, he's only 17. He's got a above average arm. Shortstop middle infielder. He still has time to mature physically in his body. And he's got a way to go. So two nice little pieces for even more organizational depth. And let's be honest, they could be ticket draws in the, the heavily Cuban populated Miami. I mean, that that's a good thing, you know? Like, they got, like, a little infrastructure there for them. If those kids develop into stars, that is the perfect team for them. Signing those two, it just makes sense on so many levels for Miami. And kudos to Derek Jeter for, for making it happen. Now, the cherry on top. It was trading JT Real Muto to the rival Phils for pitching prospects Sixo Sanchez and Will Smith. And they also got catcher Jorge Alfaro. So I broke this deal down two weeks ago. You can listen to it in the archives. I think Alfaro is a good young replacement for JT. He's got a bazooka for an arm. Great defensive instincts. And to, he, to his benefit, he no longer has to look over his shoulder 
or live in worry that he may lose his job. And as a young catcher, he still needs to work with his bat. But there's nobody there to take your job. So you're young, you're controlling over five years, and you have upside. Not bad. I told you about Will Smith. You know, he had emerged along with Sixto Sanchez and Adonis Medina as the cream of the uh, Phillies young pitching crop. And, you know, to see them part with him as well as Sixto Sanchez, that did kind of shock me a little bit. I mean, you can't forget about Sixto. 19-year-old, right-handed freak. 27th-ranked prospect in all of baseball. When healthy scouts say Sanchez has the best combination of electric stuff and command. He's got a cut fastball that reaches triple digits on occasion. And he's got a sinker. Well, he's got a slider with like this heavy sink. Sanchez's workload, it's been limited partially to age and caution of injury. But a healthy 2019, and it should direct him to an MLB career at or somewhere in the top of the fish rotation. So you're looking at, you know, Sixto Sanchez and Alcantara one of these days, and maybe like Urena. Now, the one trade a lot of people forget about by the fish last year was D. Gordon. And sometimes I forget too. I mean, you know, when we look at that Marlins team last year, we just like, man, they gutted out that amazing outfield that they had. Well, they also traded D. Gordon to the Mariners for Robert Duger, Nick Niner, and Christopher Torres. And we'll start with Nick Niner. He's got a fluent three-quarter arm slot. I saw him pitch a couple times when he was on the Mariners. Fastball tops out at uh, 92, 93. It's got late movement through the zone. His secondary pitch is a change-up. That's a plus. But his breaking ball, you know, it's meh. Last year, double-A Jacksonville, Niner. He went 12-7 with a 3.24 ERA, 154 Ks and 152 and two-thirds innings pitched, 1.13 whip. He gave up a lot of dogs, 17 home runs allowed last year. Batters hit 250 off of him. He projects as a back end of the rotation guy. Chances are we'll probably see him sporadically during the 2019 season. Now, the second return for the fish in that deal was uh, 21-year-old switch-hitting shortstop Christopher Torres. And the Marlins, the Marlins scouts, they, you know, they like what they see there. But there are suggestions from... Uh, There are suggestions from some within the organization for him to uh, scrap the uh, switch hitting and just from the hit from the left side. He projects as a solid average guy with a little pop. Defensively, the scouts love him. They rave on his upside at short, dynamic range, arm strength. 
And they love his intangibles. They're good. He rates high in intensity and leadership. Now, last year, 30 games, 88 at pass. They had a slash line of 253, 94, 307. And the third player taking that deal was right-handed pitcher Robert Duger. Duger has spent his whole collegiate career out of the bullpen, first at Cisco Texas Junior College, and then at Texas Tech. Now, the Marlins, they project him as a starter, and he's pretty much embraced that role and learning experience, and he started last year at single-A Jupiter before being promoted to double-A Jacksonville. He throws strikes with four pitches. He's got a four-seamer and a two-seamer. They top it at 92. Slider, change, curve. And, you know, after the fastball, there's just nothing explosive there, but they like his command. And he does project as another back of the end starter. So from 28th to 13th, and in the past two years, they've traded for 12 players in their top 25 prospects. And they snatched Victor Victor Mesa and his brother. And that includes the number one prospect, of course, Sixto, Sixto Sanchez, who is the number six right-handed prospect in the game, as well as the 27th overall prospect. So the Maryland, the Marlins are looking, they're not, you know, it's, they've come a long way. And it could have been worse, you know. Hey, at least you didn't have as many losses as the Orioles, right? You got yourself a new, a new logo there, some new, some new gear. They got rid of that monstrosity out in left field. And the farm seems headed in the right direction. I mean, thank God they got rid of that uh, thing out in left field. What the fuck was that? I mean, that was that was awful. It was so ugly that it like literally distracted you from the game. That's how ugly that thing was. Like, you ever seen something that's so ugly that it actually takes your eyes off of something that is so beautiful? Well, that's how that was. You know, you're sitting there, you're watching this beautiful game of baseball, and it just robs you of your whole concentration. It was hideous. I mean, even the people down there were like, get rid of it. What is it? Now, Jeter, he plans on being more uh, visible and assertive this year. He went outside his uh, buddy, uh, Jorge Posada. And Posada looks like he's going to be, you know, like one of these on-field on supervisors. He's going to have his hands pretty much in everything. So Jeter's got trust in him, and he brings him on board. And there you have it, folks. That's the Marlins. So now I'm giving you every team in NL East. I gave you the skinny on the Braves, the Mets, the Nets, the Fish. And there you go. So, like I said, in order to take a look at the Marlins, you got to go backwards to go forward. It's a really weird team in that way. You'll listen to the Jake Robinson Sports Experience on the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. I'm coming out of Paulie's Island, South Kakalaki.
Now, folks, this show is fluid. I mean, it's just like the game of baseball. And just when you think you have all the answers, baseball changes the question. And I feel like a general when I attack these shows. And, and in the back of my head, I have a strategy and a battle plan. And I got a course of action. I got a vision. But as is the case, battles change. Unforeseen challenges and issues arise. And the general that can adapt to the constantly shifting war, well, that's the motherfucker you want on your side because that's the motherfucker that's going to win. And if there's one thing I do, folks, it's win. Now, I told you earlier, I had to pivot from my original plan of covering the NL Central. I was going to cover the NL Central. And then I was, you know, and then that changed. So then I gave you the Marlins. And then I was going to give you the ALEs. I was going to give you the Orioles, the World Champion Red Sox. I'm going to do that next week. But, you know, Manny Machado just signed with the San Diego Padres. I mean, there's no way that we can get around that. So we're going to cover that. I mean, I had all this planned on what I was going to do. And just like that, everything changes. So, look, it looks like I'm going to have to do a repivot off of my pivot. Yeah, that's right. I repivot off of my pivot. So, yeah, I'm like Akeem Olajuwon with the dream shape, baby. I know, I know. I had you pasting marquee motherfuckers off your feet with the first pivot. But now I'm coming up and under, baby, in your face. And I'm going to put the L.E. on next week's back burner because Manny Machado has officially found a new home in San Diego, California. 26-year-old shortstop third baseman. He signed a 10-year, $300 million contract with the San Diego Padres on Tuesday. One year to the day after Eric Hosmer signed with the Fathers. And the news <laughs> it apparently caught the white sides of the Phillies with the pants down. Particularly the South Siders. I didn't really know why. He did what? He signed what? What are you talking about? You know, they, they're sitting on that seven-year deal with, with options offer. They've had that out there for, what, like six weeks now. And, look, I'm not really sure how the White Sox thought that contract was anything less than, uh, you know, anything but a last resort number. Seven years, $190 million. I mean, what is that? That, 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 that was never going to work. And, you know, that was the last resort number. And the Padres, under the behest of uh, general manager A.J. Preller, he swooped in to claim their prize when they realized that Manny was still in their price range. Now, according to John Heyman of the uh, MLB Network, there are some key elements that need to be worked out, most notably with the uh, trade protection clauses. And that being said, this final haggling should pose no threat Whatsoever to the comp- completion of this deal. Now the contract cost for Manny to make his uh, $300 million on an evenly spread out basis. I know that was big for him. He didn't want any. He didn't want money front loaded. He didn't want money back loaded. He wanted annuity value a year. 
And I mentioned the White Sox, they acted like they just found out the earth was round. I mean, they, you know, they were shocked. Vice President Kenny Williams, he felt like, you know, his deal was loaded with potential to make more money. But at the end of the day, Machado was, you know, he was just going to choose that guaranteed money. And most players will. Almost 95% of baseball players are going to choose guaranteed money. And there's even, you know, no player wants to be stuck with, I got to make 700 at bats to get the, no, no player wants that. They want guaranteed cash. I told you last week, cash rolls everything around me, dollar, dollar, billion. And there is even crazy talk that the Padres are looking at possibly locking up Harper as well. Which I would say, whoa, slow your ponies on that. You got a fairly loaded outfield mix. A ton of uh, viable prospects. And certainly room to improve in that rotation and bullpen first. And I feel like a broken record every fucking week. Dallas Keuchel. Gio Gonzalez, they're still available. And at this point, there may be some urgency on their side to sign a deal with a team. And I know Kimbrough's available as well, but I'm not in favor of young teams putting big money on closures. I, you know, you're not there yet. You're not ready for that. Go ahead and grip yourself a closer. Get one off the trash heap like you did with Brad Hand. That's your route for the closer. Don't worry about Kimball. But Geo, Dallas Keuchel, these are options you should seriously be looking at. And it's reasonable to wonder aloud, which I do often, by the way. It scares the shit out of the dog. But it's reasonable to wonder if the Reds are just setting the table for a couple more moves. I mean, if the Padres are just setting the table for a couple more moves. 10-year, $300 million mark is precisely where many, and when I say many, I mean me. That 10-year, $300 million mark, that's precisely where I anticipated Machado would end up. So it looks like the top end of the market is going to hold its integrity. I expect Bryce Harper to try and go out and uh, make a little bit more money than Manny Machado. Thus keeping the top end of that market, you know, secure. And then we can await the arrival of Mike Trout. That's the way it works. That's the way a healthy baseball economy works. I mean, all the saltiness about how much money a baseball player makes. I saw a ridiculous meme in the baseball room Oh, well, Manny makes this $69,000 an hour. And I'm like, so what? Good for him. How, how much do the owners make an hour? The Pirates went from a $89 million payroll to 70, $77 million payroll. Yeah, I don't give a shit. Some of these teams are not spending money. It's ridiculous. So it's all good. You got Manny Machado. You got Bryce Harper. And look, 
This now gives Harper a clear benchmark to try to top. And he's already got several teams showing interest in him before the Machado deal was made. Where are you? So this now gives him a clearer understanding of where he stands, how to read the tea leaves, what the landscape of baseball is. Go out, set the market, and you know, and now we just wait for Mike Trout. And all this chatter about Manny and his hustle and his attitude. He's dirty. I mean, first of all, that's just Yahoo Sports regurgitation, regurgitation of headlines. If you've actually watched Manny day in and day out for seven years, you would never say those things. Now, to be fair, he didn't quit himself well on the big stage. I know that. But the Manny I saw in L.A. was clearly not the kid that grew up in Baltimore with Adam Jones as his big brother in arms. He wasn't. I saw a kid that was angry, that was disillusioned by the system, who was experiencing a lot of hatred for the first time in his career. And he was pissed off and he was like, fuck all of you, I'm going to show you. And on some, some level, I respect that. But here's the thing, all that horse shit chatter, all that chatter, all that bullshit, he stepped on his foot, all that bullshit, it's overwhelmed by the overall resume that Machado carries, bottom fucking line. He stopped a war of six and three of his past four seasons. I mean, thanks in part to his outstanding club work and offensive production. He's posted a 130 WRC in three of his past four seasons. And he's hit between 33 and 37 dongs every year for the past four years. I had a couple Yankee fans, you know, they've been crying to me. Oh, his knees. I'm worried about his knees. He, he had his other knee surgery after his second year. That was five years ago. I mean, where do you guys get your information from? It's, it's amazing. A thousand reasons to fucking hate somebody. But I'm going to shoot it to you straight. I watched this kid. His plate discipline, his plate discipline, it continues to get better. He set career marks last year. Uh, 9.9% walk rate. 14.7% strikeout rate. That's awesome in today's game. And it looks like the immediate plan has Machado sliding back to third base. And quite honestly, he's got 30 million reasons not to complain about it. Shut the fuck up and move over to third base. It's that simple. I expect super stud prospect Luis Arias to hold down shortstop position until uh, superstar waiting Fernando Tatis Jr. gets his service time. I could also see Manny playing a couple games in short and letting Christian Villanueva take some... Uh, Time over their third base. Now, Urias, he's always projected to be the keystone partner for Junior over there at second. And I told you what I feel about Fernando Tatis Junior. I understand everybody's excited and waiting for Vlad, but I'm waiting for Fernando Tatis Junior. That kid's a star. He really is. And the vision has always been 
uh, you know, to have Junior, Fernando Tatis Jr. and Luis Urias to be, uh, you know, that shortstop, second base, double play combo. Now, the Padres, they are, they already signed Ian Kinsler to a two-year deal. And I love that 36-year-old Kinsler, four-time All-Star, gold glover, high IQ. What's not to love, right? Well, his game, it's in steady decline. And quite honestly, I hate to see him block a Urias or even a Jose Perella at this point. So I see Kinsler eventually settle down in that clubhouse veteran bench guy. And maybe they can move him at the deadline. I, I don't think he fits there. Now, look, I'm going to be honest with you. And I'm, I'm going to shoot it straight to you. The good and the bad with this deal. One concern that I do have is Petco Park. We've seen really good hitters go there and watch their numbers diminish. I'm talking about the Brian Gileses, the Ryan Kleskos, the Eric Hosmers of the world. And it is the second lowest elevated stadium to sea level. The air is thick and moist. Thick and moist. That's kind of how I imagine Halle Berry is. But I digress. And look, 396 foot dead center field is actually closer to home plate than the power alleys in left and right. I mean, that's just weird. You're looking at 401 feet in left, and 400 feet in right. And this rarity, along with that dead Pacific Ocean air, it makes Dom scarce and low-scoring games the north. And I think at some point, the Padres, they should take advantage of what their lineup could, should, and will become. And they need to adjust their crib accordingly. Last season splits between the Orioles and the Dodgers. Machado slash 297, 367, 538. 37 dongs, 146 OPS plus. And the Padres, they need to recognize what they truly have offensively and play to their fucking strengths. And it's not just going to benefit benefit Manny Machado. It's going to also help left-handed Hunter Renfro. He led the team last year with 26 bombs. 26 bombs. Now, the club does have some power bats in Christian Villanueva, Austin Hedges, Framel Reyes, and Hosmer. And they're not taking advantage of these fucking bats. I mean, they're not. I just don't think they're taking advantage of those bats. They need to seriously consider moving the walls in or making them a little more symmetrical in those power alleys. I mean, look, it's your money, right? It's your investment. Put your $300 million investment in the best position to succeed. It's just a thought. And there was no logistical nor logical reason to not go for it from the Padres' perspective 
especially with the number one farm in the MLB ready to bear fruit. They got plenty of payroll space, even with the signing of Hosmer a year ago. And the Friars are nowhere close to the luxury tax threshold. They got no other long-term commitments on the books besides Hosmer. And this was the perfect opportunity to add a player of Manny's caliber for just mere cash. And it should push them to things on the next level. Now, is Machado the difference? Is he going to make a difference in 2019? Uh, No, probably not. He's got raw talent around him in that lineup, but it still needs seasoning. And the pitching staff, it needs serious work. I ain't going to fucking lie to you. I mean, Joey Lachese is that team's ace. That's all you got to say about that. But here's the deal. Bryce or Manny, whichever one of them was going to sign with San Diego, they were never going to be that final piece to bury L.A. and Colorado. Never. They're merely bridges to a bright future. And in my opinion, the Padres invested in the safest and strongest plank on the market. You're going to build a bridge, you want the safest and strongest plank on the market. And I don't care what anybody says, I'd rather have Manny Machado than Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper's numbers have dropped precipitously since they started playing the shift on him. Manny is consistent year in, year out, both sides of the ball. Machado makes the team better, and he's still young enough that he will still be in his prime as these Padres prospects graduate to the next level. And look, it's a simple fucking formula, folks. Bad teams get better by adding players. And getting better, isn't that supposed to be the whole point? Of this silly, silly game. Now, it probably isn't how Machado envisioned this going. From being mismanaged by the Orioles, a team that he truly loved playing on, to leading the Dodgers to the World Series, to the criticisms, to the hate, to the White Sox trying to lowball him, but play those sensibilities by signing his brother in law, to finally signing with San Diego. And in the end, though, he got his cash. He looks like he's going to get an opt-out in year five. And the challenge of lifting a team to eventually uh, you know, eventually reaching the promised land. He is that dynamic. He is that kind of player. Now, like I said, I do think the Padres need to seriously consider listen to me. You need to seriously consider adjusting the crib, man. And I've said it for years. San Diego is a is a sleeping baseball giant of a town. It is. Every time that team has went to the playoffs, every time that team has went to the World Series, the fans have come out. And they have come out rough and hard. And look, they just lost their football team, right? San Diego's a one-sport town. They're going to gravitate around this team. And now they finally got something to cheer for. And I'm happy for them. I'd be a lot happier if they get some pitching. 
They fix those fucking walls. I mean, you got power alleys, 401, 400. I mean, what is that? It's time to end the bullshit on that. And all this foolishness and bizarre economic stinginess, it's only going to be the Padres gain in the end. All you fucking teams that try to lowball Manny Machado, you're going to say, you could have had that dude. I mean, you know, it, it, it was just... I mean, to me, it was clear as fucking bell. He's thirty million, thirty million dollar player. That is what the market dictated, and we had to wait until fucking February for that. You can't tell me that that didn't affect Mustakas's job. And look, I'm gonna be honest with you. Me and Richard DeSalvio had a great talk the other night, and he did kind of open my eyes to a lot of things. In fact, that motherfucker kept me up all night last night, and I was kind of pissed off about it. Because on one hand, in order for there to be collusion, all the teams would have to be in on it. And obviously, all the teams are not in on it. So he is right. In essence, he is right. Now, I've always tried to say that a lot of these owners have collusive behaviors. You can't prove collusion. Although, you look at the NFL, right? Colin Kaepernick. I told you last year, that's fucking collusion. Straight up. And look what happened. They settled, right? And it was collusion, but we can't call it collusion. Uh, Colin Kaepernick, he can't say it was collusion. And the NFL, they're not allowed to deny that it was collusion. So you know what that means? It means it was fucking collusion. And you're right, Richard. At the end of the day, you are right. It's not collusion. It's a conspiracy by these middle and smaller market teams. To circumvent the CBA. And you pissed me off because you kept me up all night. And at the end of the, you know, when I woke up this morning, I was like, this motherfucker's right. Collusion is the wrong word. It's a conspiracy. I stand corrected. You're right, brother. So I think the deal with Manny Machado going to San Diego, I think it's great. I think it's great. They got a great pipeline of young prospects coming. I've already given you the names at nauseum. The Mackenzie Gores, Paul Quantrills, Adrian uh, Moyones, Fernando Tatis, Luis Urias. They already got the Villanuevas, the uh, Manny Margos. They got quite a team of young, on-the-rise, serious players. Now, I saw a thing that Dan O'Dowd said, and this is another negative of the trade. I'm honest with it. I'm consistent. And I agree with Dan O'Dowd on this, and I thought the same exact thing. I, I think one of the, another gamble that San Diego has taken here, and it's a serious gamble. They need to think about this. It's very hard to buy a superstar and then build your prospects around a superstar. It's much easier to have these super, these young prospects come up and then you figure out where your holes are and you plug those holes. It makes it a little more complicated this way. I think that there is this kind of log jam situation here. I mean, I'm looking at guys like Christian Villanueva, 
Jose Perella, if these guys are going to lose playing time, then I would hope that the Orioles would be a team that would seriously consider looking at them. Because I think those guys can play. So I am excited for San Diego. The dog is excited for San Diego. I got to tell you, my dog's favorite team is the San Diego Padres. I don't know why. She loves Jose Perella, though. That's her dude. And I don't know. You know, usually I watch two to four baseball games every day in the summer. And, you know, we usually finish the night out together on the couch. Me and my flower watching some San Diego Padres baseball. So she was very happy with the news that Manny Machado is going to uh, San Diego. And I can't watch. I can't wait to watch baseball. I mean, it's almost here, folks. Unbelievable. You'll listen to the Jake Robinson Sports Experience on the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. I'm coming out of Paulie's Island, South Carolina. Half man. Half podcast machine. Now, there was some horrible baseball news this week. It looks like pitching legend Don Newcomb earned his wings Tuesday when he died at his home in Madison, New Jersey, surrounded by family and friends. The death of the 92 year old icon was confirmed by the Dodgers on Twitter. Don Newcomb, a.k.a. The Hawk. He was born in, uh, on June 14, 1926 in Madison, New Jersey. He had three brothers and a sister. He was raised by a widowed father. And his father was a chauffeur to make ends meet. Now, Newcomb attended Jefferson High School in Elizabeth, New Jersey. But the school didn't have a baseball team, so uh, Hawk, he spent his summers playing on the semi-pro tours. In 1945, Newt caught on with the uh, Newark Eagles of the Negro National League. And after two stunning years with the Eagles, Dodgers GM Branch Rickey signed him to the Dodgers. Now, along with catcher prospect Roy Campanella, and I didn't know this, Nuka played for the first racially integrated baseball team based in the United States in 1946. And that's when he was a member of the National Dodgers of the New England League. And he would play there through the 1947 season before being tr- promoted to AAA. And National League team was the Montreal Royals of the International League. On May 20th, 1949, Nuka became the third African-American pitcher to play for a major league team. Behind only Dan Bankhead and Satchel Page. Now, his impact and resolve, it was felt immediately as he helped Brooklyn secure the NL pennant. He earned 17 victories along the way. He also had a magnificent stretch of 32 consecutive scoreless innings in his rookie year. He led the NL in shutouts with five. And he was named Rookie of the Year by the Sporting News and the BBWF. Now, that year, he was also among the first four black ball players to be named to the All-Star team, and that was along with Jackie Robinson, Roy Campanella, and the Indians pitcher Larry Doby. In 1950, he would go on to 19 wins and 20 the following season, 1951. And many of you may or may not know, 
that Newcomb was actually the pitcher that was relieved by Ralph Branca before the shot hurt around the world by Bobby Thompson in that 1951 one-game playoff versus their hated Giants rivals. And look, like many of the badasses in our grandfathers, or, well, some of your millennials uh, out here, great-grandfather's generation, Newcomb, he would put down his toys, and he would spend two years in active duty during the Korean War. And he did return, and he was rusty that first year, but uh, he quickly rebounded in 1955. He went 25 with a 3.20 ERA. And in 1956, Newcomb put forth the best year of his career, going 27-7 with a 3.06 ERA and a .99 whip. That was good enough for National League MVP honors, as well as him being awarded the first ever National League Cy Young Award. And following the Dodgers' move to L.A., uh, Nuke, he struggled to an 0-6 start, and they traded him to the Reds. So he goes to the Reds. He posts a 24-21 record-wise there. He's eventually moved to Cleveland. And that's where he would finish his Major League Baseball career. Now, Newcomb will later admit that his battle with alcoholism, and it robbed him of a longer career. In 1962, Newcomb signs with the Chunichi Dragons of the Nippon Bro Baseball League in Japan. He plays one season in Japan. He's splitting time as an outfielder and a first baseman. 262 average, 12 dogs, 43 ribs in 81 games. And Newcomb dealt with alcoholism that wreaks havoc on his professional and personal life. And by his own admission, he was a man, he was a mean, wife-abusing, child-frightening, falling-down drunk. And I know, I've been there. I have been there, brother. It's alcoholism and alcoholism and it taking him to such a bad place in 1965 that he pawned his World Series ring to buy some booze. I hate hearing about athletes doing stuff like that. He finally quit drinking for good in 1966 and he lived his life helping numerous other people Kicked that habit, including uh, military veterans and most notably former teammate Maury Wills. In 1980, he created the Dodgers Drug and Alcohol Awareness Program, and he would go on to be the director of New Beginnings Alcohol and Drug Treatment Program. Don Newcomb, he finished his major league career with a 38 war. 149 wins, 149 wins, 90 losses, and a 3.56 ERA, 136 complete games. Four-time All-Star, one Cy Young and an NL MVP, 1,129 strikeouts, 114 ERA plus, and a 1.20 whip. And that's just, you know, it's sad, man. Whenever we lose these guys, it really affects me, man. It does. I could barely get through the Frank Robinson one last week. And it's kind of like a double-edged sword for me because 
you know, I know of Don Newcomb, and I know, like, you know, he's one of the first black ball players, but it takes for these guys to die for me to do research into them. And then I find out all these amazing tidbits, and, you know, it kind of makes me sad that I didn't know before. Don Newcomb is survived by his wife, Karen, his two sons, Don Jr. and Brett, his daughter, Kelly, two grandchildren, and a stepson. So, Don Newcomb, you, sir, are a gentleman, a scholar, a Dodgers icon. And I know a lot of people, you know, they like to remember me for the racial stuff, and that's all great, but I think that Don Newcomb's greatest gift to the game is helping players cope with alcoholism. It's a very serious disease. I'm a recovering alcoholic, and I respect anyone that, you know, can share their story and, you know, lift other people up. So I have mad respect, mad props for Don Newcomb. You, sir, a gentleman, a scholar, Dodgers icon, Rest in peace, Godspeed, and time will not dim the glory of your deeds. You're listening to the Jake Robinson Sports Experience on the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. I'm coming out of Paulie's Island, South Carolina. And look, before I get out of here, I want to send a, a shout out. Longtime manager Bruce Bochy. What up, player? What up, pimp? I see you out there. 63-year-old Bochy. He announced on Monday to his Giants team and then to the world, to the media, that 2019 would be his 25th and final year of managing in Major League Baseball. Now, he unmasked the secret. He successfully held close for months. And he seemed at peace with his decision. Said his gut, said it was time. And no matter what happens this season with the Giants, he will more likely than finish his managerial career with a losing record. And he is even more likely headed to Cooperstown and the Hall of Fame. And for sure, he has at least three World Series chips to his credit. The last season Bochy wasn't managing was the strike-short 1994 season. And it is kind of apropos that we're talking Machado going to San Diego, considering the Padres have been around since 1969, and they have only gone to the playoffs five times in that club's history. And by the way, four of those appearance, appearances have come on Bochy's watch. And that includes the losing the 1998 World Series to the Yankees. Now, let's take a second to think on that. In 37 seasons, Bochy was not skipper. The Pods made the playoffs once in 1984, the year they went to the World Series. That team lost to Detroit. Oh, yeah, and Bochy was the catcher on that Padres team. So in the 12 seasons Bruce Matt is there They made four playoff appearances World Series champion for the uh, San Francisco Giants 2010, 2012, 2014 
I don't think he gets the props he deserves because they weren't consecutive, but that's horseshit. I think what them and the Red Sox have done in the 2000s is absolutely unreal. Now, that resume, it ain't complete. And I'm not going to do like a memoriam here. I just want to give you a shout out. I'm sure at the end of the year, we're going to give Bruce his, uh, the props he deserves. And look, it's very rare for a manager of 25 years to never be fired. But that's Bruce Bochy, folks. You're listening to Jake Robinson's Sports Experience on the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. I'm coming out of Paulie's Island, South Carolina. It's your boy, Jake the Snake. And that's it, folks. Another show in the books. I know, it was a little... I, I did the pivot on the pivot. I did the Akeem Olaj one. I got you fuckers up. Then, you know, I came up on there with the little finger roll. Facial. Before I get out of here, I'm going to get my boy Mikey Ford. He's a head sports writer from the Fresno Bay. That's the Fresno uh, State uh, newspaper. Sports writer, editor for that. And you can find his work at M. Ford Collegiate on Twitter. I mean, it covers it all. College sports, Fresno stuff, baseball, basketball, football. He's on it. I love that kid. I pretty much adopted him. I also want to tell you about my boy Taz Fuentes out of uh, Queens, New York. He's starting a new uh, page on Facebook. He's going to call it the Level Sports Breaks. He's always supported my, my room. He's always supported my shows. I like the guy. So if you get a chance and you're on Facebook, find yourself the Level Sports Break. And go ahead and get yourself involved there. Now look, last but not least, I gotta say what's up to my boy, my player, Neil Gario. He's leaving for basic training on February 26th. He's a super fan. He's always listening. He's going Army strong. He's gonna report to Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And dude, I wanna thank you for your service. I wanna thank you for always supporting me. I love you. You're my little brother. It's dangerous times to be serving in the United States military. And I love you. I love you. I love you. Go out there and excel, young man. And when you get off, you give me a call, and I'm going to tell you about all the baseball and all the Yankees stuff that you missed. Neil Gorio. I want people in Facebook to give this dude props. Like I said, my name is Jake Robinson on the Jake Robinson Sports Experience. You can hear me pretty much on all podcast platforms. Not pretty much. I am. I'm on all of them. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, whatever. Whatever it is, I'm there. You can find me on Twitter at jrobbie1. At ltbpodnet. Drop me an email at diamondsnakejake at gmail.com. Or you can find me on the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network Facebook page. You want to get in there? You come on in, you answer the questions, and join the family. 
I hope you had fun. I had fun. I'll always have fun giving you the baseball skinny. It's your boy Jake the Snake. I'm about to sign out. I want you guys to win the day. Win the moment, win the year. And parents, by all means, if you see your kid and they're sitting on the couch and they look bored, by all means, take them outside and play a game of catch. Thank y'all for coming out. God bless and good night.